Welcome back to Across the Border. My name is Chris, and I'm here with yours truly, Max Mother Rolnick. I'm going to have to bleep that in roughly 24 hours. But today, we're going to try something a little bit different. What we're going to do is, is we're going to do Max. Pause. <laughs> Super <laughs> pause. Lob threat. It's like croutons in a soup. Don't turn down any opportunity, whether it's a camp, a clinic, because you never know literally who's watching. Make your own decision to stick with them and know they're the right decisions, right? And even if they aren't right, don't regret them. Uh-huh, he didn't know creatine existed. <laughs> <laughs> so he got some creatine, he's like, oh, yeah, lift heavy weight. <laughs> ship across the border. I ship across the border. Ship across the border, man. Welcome back to Ship Across the Border. Um, yeah, so basically I did no zero, not a not a single question was written down before this. So this is completely off the top of And there's the not me to carry with the stuff off the top of the off the bat. So. Anything in his fucking life. <laughs> Anyways, um, how did you start playing basketball? I, see, this is the thing, too. Is like, I'm going to ask questions that I'm not actually curious about because I know the answer. I know your first word was fucking ball. Like, I already know. But, like, I'm, we're just going to go. We're going to follow the linear path. How did you start playing basketball? My first word was ball. When I was born, my parents gave me this orange rattle, like, basketball toy that I just carried with everywhere. And my first word was ball. So you started playing basketball at what age? Probably, like, six. How do you go from being having an orange rattle to not playing for six years? Well, it's hard to play a basketball at... Lonzo was dunking when he was like two. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> That's not true. You ever seen the video of Lamelo like dunking on the mini hoop when he was like could barely talk? Okay, so I started being interested in basketball. I was actually probably around this time of year, probably when I was like four or five. My um, grandparents got me this mini hoop for Hanukkah. Yes. And I th- like the highest I could go was like six feet, but I was probably like. I don't know. I was like four. <laughs> so I was like, like, I couldn't dunk. And like, like, I always put it up. And I was like, that was like the same thing as like me now shooting on like a 10 foot hoop. Mm-hmm. And I would just go in the basement and just play basketball every day by myself. Mm-hmm. So, at the case, okay, you're four years old, you play basketball. At what point do you start taking it seriously? Seriously is like a continuum. Because like, there's people right now who said. Oh, just stole my fucking quote. That's crazy. <laughs> you not? You never said seriously as a continuum, but you said something before the podcast about continuum. Before we continue, can you please put the mic up to your face? My fault. Um, I think there's a lot of people right now that say they take basketball seriously and they practice with their team four times a week. So what is your so definition like, of seriously? My definition of seriously is I wake up every day and get better daily. And I didn't start making... Wait, 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 wait. There's people who can wake up every day and get better daily who I wouldn't consider serious about basketball. Like, there's kids who, like... like fuck, I can't, say, I can't say names. Say names. No, I literally can't. I mean, I could bleep it. But, like... Oh, wow. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, Braden or something. <laughs> wow. No, but, like, there's people like that. There's people who are shitters who get up every day and they, they get better. I would say that being serious as a definition is... When you wake up, is basketball the center of your life? That's what I define serious. No, because I think, well, you're going to bleep that out. Basketball is the center of their life, too. I think, now that I'm thinking about it, being serious is, am I 
spending my free time, my extra time on basketball. So like if I have, if I'm 12 years old and I have pr basketball practice for my AU team four times a week. And so I'm waking up or even six times a week, I'm waking up every day and I'm playing basketball, but I'm not necessarily serious about it. But if I have practice four times a week, but seven times, like the days I don't have practice, I'm working out by myself or I'm doing push ups or whatever. I'm doing something to better to get myself closer to my goal. And, and, right. in the, and on, in addition to that, I'm on the days that I am, I'm going early and, or going early and getting half an hour extra shots up or I'm staying after and I'm 12 years old. I consider that being serious. So I guess being serious for me is doing, using my free time towards the same, towards the goal basically. And I started doing that probably um, in 10th grade. So why, I, I love grade. What happened in 10th grade? Were you like, I'm going to take this seriously. 10th grade. I quit basketball. I quit my a, so my AU team. So how people, people don't know really in Canada cause it's a lot different. Like the system of basketball, obviously like every country has different like systems. Like in Europe, you play for your club team and here in the U in the U S you play for your high school team, which is like the main priority in Canada up until you can, you're kind of like grade 10, 11, 12, where you can start playing varsity basketball. The major priority is, club basketball or like AAU like prep, we call prep it prep schools yeah but that's like the most that's I'm talking like that's like there's not a lot of ninth graders playing senior prep yeah. so I'm talking about like a regular ninth grader especially like for the area that I'm from like the most and like when also the time that we were growing up because when we were growing up there was not prep school at every single corner there was like eight now just factory farming yeah there. now there's just factory farming now spamming prep schools <laughs> but so when I was growing up and up until you were of age to play varsity basketball for your high school team, which is sophomore year if you're really good, because there's it's really hard to play as a freshman, especially in Canada. So I, everybody plays like AU or like club, and so my club team, I was on. A, I left the team that I was on before with uh, with JC with David Rudnick, who was on the podcast before, and I went to a different a few different club teams, and then the one I, the last one I guess I went to before I quit that was this team and I loved it. My, I played there for two years, my ninth grade year, my 10th grade year, my ninth grade year, I loved it. And the coach loved me and we had a great relationship and I loved everybody on the team. And the 10th grade, it was, I felt like he was the type of coach that really brought in new people well and showed a lot of love to new people. But then it's kind of like, he kind of like graduated people out of his program. And like, if you weren't the new guy, he didn't really fuck with you anymore. And I just felt like, I almost want to say Scarborough Blues because Scarborough Blues is like really good at developing players, but like after your past grade eleven, I'm gonna say it's like it's you like gotta, go fuck you yourself. Leave. It's not even go fuck yourself. You just gotta leave. They don't have the facilities. But it, it wasn't even like better. that. It wasn't even like that. I wasn't even like that. It was just like I felt like it was like a you got a free trial. Like you come in, you free trial, everything's awesome, whatever. Coach is hooking you up. You don't really have to pay for these extra workouts, and you're getting a lot of playing time. And like coach is messaging you and getting you in for extra workouts and posting shit about you on social media, and everything's cool. And then after your kind of first year when you're kind of like old news, then it's like, oh, who's the new kid that's coming in? Even if the new kid's worse than you, it's just like, it's like, it's fresh. And so I just felt frustrated because like I was getting yelled at and I was getting blamed for shit that like, I told a story on the podcast, I kind of blew up this clip. It's where like, I was on the bench of a game. We were playing this men's league as like 14 year olds and we got our ass whooped and I was on the bench because I, whatever, got subbed out for probably doing some dumb shit. And when my teammate shot a shot open three, and I said, good shot, whatever, like next one's going in, just trying to be a good teammate. And I got blasted, like, that's not a good shot, whatever. Like, and I'm like, all right, bro, like, fuck this. You got it. <laughs> and then it was in the middle of the season, so I didn't really have another, another like, you can't, it's hard to transfer to a different team in the middle of the season. So I kind of took that off, and then I just kind of focused on my 
high school basketball, which I was a sophomore in high school at this time in Canada. And so I was playing for the JV team because it's in, at least at my like big public school, you weren't allowed to try, even try out for the varsity team unless you were a junior or senior. Because the way they view it is like the people who are junior and seniors have less time left. So like they're going to play the seniors over the juniors because they have only one more year left. And it's, it's, not, it's not really a system that fosters kids to make it to the next level. It's just a enjoy your extracurricular type of thing. So that's why I had to get the fuck out of there. But yeah, so I, which is untraditional. So I was basically like just a regular, like high school basketball player. But people in the, who are listening to this, who have grown up in the US system would be like, okay, you were just playing for your JV team. Like you were still playing basketball. You didn't quit. But in like, in, in my head, in the heads of like my peers around me, like I quit basketball because I wasn't playing club. And I was just playing for my school. Like school, high school basketball, especially at public schools, is just considered, it's like an extracurricular hobby kind of thing. It's not really taken seriously. Okay, so you quit. And then you come back in the... I quit the team, but I, that's when my grind really started. Because that's really kind of like initiated like a fire in me. I'm like, all right, fuck this. Fuck you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get really fucking good. And then no, you're not going to be able to tell me shit. <laughs> and so I ended up going to... So when I was really young, like fifth, sixth, seventh grade, I played for a top three, top five team in Shout Canada. Shout out Vaughn Panthers. And it was all fun and games when it was equal playing time. But then when it... In eighth grade, when it's not equal playing time anymore in OBA, which is the rep basketball league for like young kids, and everybody else hit puberty way before I did, and then it's like, all right, well, I'm gonna sit in the corner and jack threes, jack and Some play, and, never <laughs> and play a few minutes here and there, and it just started to be like, okay, I was hindering my development at that point, and yeah, it's cool to be around really high level people, but at some point, you want to get those game reps, which is important, and so I went to. Rudnick's team, and I teamed with Rudnick for a year, and that was fun, and I got a lot more opportunity. Kind of fell in love with basketball again then, and then after that, that team kind of disbanded because, again, everybody... We had a lot of good individuals. We didn't have a great team chemistry and play well together, but we had a lot of really good individuals who went to a lot of other higher places. And then I went to this team for two years, and then I quit. And then I worked my ass off, and I went back, actually, to the team that was, at that time, top five in Canada, which, at this point, obviously, if you're top five in anything when you're 12 you probably won't be when you're 16 because that's just the way life works but they were still a very 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 good team and a very high level team and at this point they were you play sponsored which people knowing who are like have a lot of knowledge of the basketball community you play is like where Shea played or Shaden Sharp played where all these like they're a whole team is there an EYBL team and they go division one? They have not very many teams in Canada are sponsored by Uplay or EYBL. Yeah. So we weren't an EYBL team, but we were sponsored by Uplay. We we're called Vaughn Uplay. And it was a very high level team. And there are people who from that team play division one right now who I played with. There's people who are playing college basketball across the States and in Canada at very high levels and doing very good things. It's a very, very good program. And I worked my ass off and that whole like year. And I had also a good um, season. Um, on my JV high school team, and I ended up making that team. But that's also a funny story that we could get okay. into. Up until that point, like so, that's grade ten, nine, and ten, where you moved to that team yeah. in the top five. Are you frying at that point? Like you're getting buckets on kids, or what do you mean like, in, like from your eight, from ages of whenever to grade eight before they had equal playing time? Were you frying or no? I started off like before I started off playing rep. I started off like playing just, like, in this local league at the JC with, like, or like what, a bunch of like different local house leagues, and I was killing. But also, I was, I went through, like, a puberty sandwich of, like, I was really, de- I was <laughs> really developed. terrible visual. <laughs> I was really developed compared to a lot of kids really young. Yeah. And then I kind of stalled, and everyone caught up to me, and they passed me, Sounds and familiar. then I 
shot up after that okay, type so of thing. What I'm getting at there is like when you when it went to equal playing time, that obviously like probably hurt your ego. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. did that teach you anything? I guess it's the first fucking the first stone in the in the well of resilience that I'm still dealing with to this day. It's, I guess it's the first kind of like step in the long, um, the long journey of resilience and getting knocked down and getting back up and persevering that I'm still on to this day. Okay, so then you move on to grade eleven, which so grade eleven, I so Canadian grade eleven. I did five years in high school because I did two years of prep school in the U.S. So grade eleven. I played for the varsity team because I'm too old to play for the junior team. And obviously, like, finally now I was given an opportunity to play for the varsity team because I was of age. I was one of, like, four uh, juniors to make the team. And I played pretty well. I was, believe it or not, believe it or not, I was back a, po- I was back a point guard. I was, like, six man, but I was bringing the ball up. I thought you were going to say, believe it or not, I was yamming on people's heads. I was putting No, no, no. I was a point guard. I was making plays, dribbling the ball up the court and stuff. And... Yeah, I mean, I had a good... I thought I was the best player on the team, and I think a lot of other people thought I deserved a lot more minutes, but, you know, because the grade 12s only had one year left, and I had two years left, I'm not going to get that opportunity to start because I would next year, but I thought that was unfair, and, like, there were some times where, like, we had a tournament. Um, anyone watching this who knows anything about Stephen Lewis or, or played the St. Andrews College Tournament was the best tournament. It was the best day of the year. Michael, I think my little-ass John Diefenbaker team plays St. Andrews in like an upcoming game. St. Andrews is a, it's a big private school in Canada, a little bit north of me, little, probably a lot south of you, but awesome tournament. And we played, they give out like player of the game after every game. It was really cool. I have a few of those t-shirts, but one game we played in the semifinals versus a team who has a guy who's playing at um, Niagara College who's like doing really well now. And if you know, like in order to go from directly from like wire DSB or like regular public school basketball to play in college is extremely rare and you have to be really really good and do a lot of really good things in order to get noticed and so they were a really really good team and had like two dudes who are two or three dudes who are playing college basketball now which is and they were a really good team and we were missing our starting point guard so i started and i had 20 and i won player of the game and then i had like two like very clutch free throws and i just was getting buckets the whole game then the next game we played versus a team that was a lot worse because they the host of the tournament always like takes the easiest path and yeah played them and I had 25 in the first half we beat, beat them by like 30 or 40 I won like player of the game so I won like finals MVP and then came off the bench and played like 6 minutes the next game when the starting point guard came back so it's like at this point I was like fuck me and then I COVID happened and shit COVID happened but is this the year that you decided that I'm going to play college basketball yeah no I decided I wanted to play college basketball after I quit I'm like yo I'm going to grind and like that's the goal why was that the like the metric because now you're here so like looking back why did it's it's hard i wrote in my grade a grad book where will you be in five years i'll be playing basketball at american college so like i wrote that in my yearbook and like i have a photo of that I've seen it but so like you could say like but that was like a, oh that was a, more of a dream it wasn't necessarily a goal because i didn't really have a pathway yeah. i didn't have a plan or i didn't have wasn't making any steps in that direction but like when i quit in 10th grade my club team and i really like set my focus on like i want to get as good as i can i want to play college basketball did you, so when you, were you telling people, like, I want to play college basketball? Or you walk around, like, I'm going to go play college basketball? And if so, was there, like, talk of, like, yo, there's no way he's going to play Yeah, I'm sure, I don't think I was, like, going around to everybody I knew and be like, yo, I'm playing, I'm going to play college basketball. But, like, I, well, this is also actually, not, yeah, now I'm thinking about it. This is the time where a lot of my, like, especially going to grade 11, where you start thinking about where you want to go to university. Yeah. 
And so a lot of my friends were saying that. I'm like, and I was saying, like, I want to go play college basketball. And a lot of time when I quit, like, a lot of people were giving me shit. And I, I'm going to tell Brandon, my friend, one of my best friends, Brandon, to watch this episode. But so he played up with me um, in 10th grade on the JV team. Didn't make it um, 11th grade. But, and he played club outside of, outside of school. But, like, we would always harp on him because, like, we're in a friend group. And I'm obviously way better than him. Respectfully. I love you, Brandon. But, like, I would give you 50. And it wasn't even close. But he, now, at this point, in grade 10, he was playing club and I wasn't. So, like, all, my, all of our friends in the friend group were, like, chirping me, saying, yo, Brandon's better than you. Like, you're equal to Brandon now. Like, you can't say shit. And I'm like, it might, like, it was like, all right, like, you got it. Like, they, don't, they didn't see the path. They didn't see the, they didn't see the light in the tunnel. I say that because when I said I wanted to go play college basketball, the, like, the whispers and shit was like, who the fuck does this kid think he is? Nobody. Yeah, it's so, it's so un, like, uncharted territory. But actually, what really made me want to, now that I'm thinking about it, what really made me want to play college basketball is watching D Friga. Fucking shout out D Friga. I've, t- I've talked to D Friga a bunch. Not, Do you know that? Not at all. I was, started watching D Friga, like, when I was in 10th grade, so however long that was, he was probably only had, like, a few I like say, I tens have a friend of who's going to watch this Justin Hunter the one who critiques all the videos he's been in a defree go OG yeah. bro he's been he has for a yeah he ha- he probably had like ten thousand followers maybe a little bit less yeah. so obviously if I DM'd him he would be able to answer and I have like you could scroll like it's like we have a pretty good conversation I asked him a bunch of questions and that kind of like brought my attention to like there was basketball outside of like my vision was very focused like I want to play varsity for Stephen Lewis I want to make this Vaughn Panthers team but I kind of opened my peripheral vision of like there's more to be achieved. So when did you go to Andrew Osborne? So COVID happened. And after like my season with my... Before we do that, what happened during COVID? How, what did you do during COVID when that shit oh. hit? COVID, we talked about this on another episode too. It's like the power of like working with no, with no goal, or not with no goal, result. but with no immediate result and not even like a, you don't even know if you're going to have an opportunity, but just working anyway so that you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. I was... Every day. I was doing ball handling every day. I was lifting four, five, six times a week. I was on my driveway shooting every single day. I was getting after it, going to the park with my dad, waking up early with my dad before he started to work to shoot on the driveway, then shooting with him after he finished work. In the between, I was um, playing on the doing ball handling stuff and just working out and just I just was working because I knew that I knew I wanted to go to a prep school and I knew that I would have to be fucking ready to compete. And I knew that I didn't want to have to get ready. I wanted to be ready, and I wanted to be ready for the opportunity that I got. And so I worked my ass off. And then, so COVID happened. I automatically when that happened, I realized this is my opportunity. Few things kind of set me off. One, obviously, I was unhappy in the situation that I was the previous year on the varsity team at Stephen Lewis, and I was frustrated. I'm like, fuck that. Two, I knew that if I stayed at Stephen Lewis, there was no way I was going to play college basketball because realistically, I'm not the type of kid that's going to go and have 45 points and get the attention of coaches. In that sense, like that's just not my style. Of, I'm not gonna be. I'm not six five, six seven. You're gonna be dunking on people. Shout out self awareness. So I really, there's really little recruitment, and it's really really hard to me achieve my goal in this environment. So I thought of I just like I wanna try and experience something else. And also, there that may have not even been an option, and which now we know wasn't an option because like my next year there was no uh, high school sports in general. So everybody who was planning on to be on that team didn't even get that opportunity to finish their high school basketball career. And so all those things, uh, all those factors, I'm like, fuck this. And so I started working with Coach Mom. Shout out Coach Mom. She's a, pre- that name was gonna come she's a prep school agent, and she's awesome. And she has so many connections with so many different prep schools in Canada and the U.S. And I talked to her, and I had an assessment. I had a virtual assessment where my dad FaceTimed her, and my dad was outside videoing me working out, and I had a really good workout. And she put me through this virtual workout, did really well. She kind of wrote this, sent her a bunch of film, 
and she kind of wrote this report about about me and sent it out to her her contacts and the first i had a few schools reach back to me but the the one that like was most interested in me was coach kerbis at andrews osborne shout out coach kerbis and he was really interested in me and he really wanted me to come and so i started talking to him and i just felt the vibe right away i felt like this is like i could make this place home what is it like going from a canadian high school to a american prep school in basketball terms in basketball terms a lot more commitment in the sense of like we practice six days a week and we were at like 9 a.m on a saturday so it's in canada we were three four times a week if it's like a hard week for the for the varsity team which is going to be crazy for people to hear that like who grew up in the American varsity college basketball system, but like three, four times a week, sometimes twice, like depending on if our coach who's a, also a teacher had to go take his kids to soccer. It's like, <laughs> it's just like, it's not really taken seriously like that. So that was a big, but that wasn't an issue for me because I love the game. And I, I was always like, yo, we need to get in the gym more. We need to get in the gym more. So that was an issue for me. Academically, it was, it was different. It was people more gave a fuck. Like oh. I had to be on, like my house, I had a house parent because it's not like college where, you're a grown ass man. Like, I'm not going to have like, you have, I'm not going to have someone telling me what to do. I'm also, I was a kid and there's kids who are a lot younger than me. And so they have like house parents and they're making sure you're on top of your shit and you can't really leave campus unless you tell them. And like, there's a lot of, and like your teachers and like advisors also like, there's only like 200 people in the school. So like, they know you by name. They know your background. They know everything about you. You see everybody every day. And so like they, and they give a fuck about you. So they hold you accountable. So in that sense, it was like, a little di different. I think school is easier in the U.S. than it is in Canada. There's a lot less work. A thousandth time that's been said, but yes. It is yeah, so that was different. Um, with Coach Kerbis, when you showed up, did he have a vision for the kind of player he wanted you to be? Yeah, I think that they just graduated. They had a really good team the year I was there before. They had three or four dudes go play college basketball. Mm -hmm. And so then they had two returning guys who were going to be seniors who ended up playing, plus me. And so he kind of wanted me to be that third kind of option that more of a wing player, like shooting the ball, maybe bring it up if I had to, and just focus on shooting and being on the perimeter and like being a perimeter threat. Because the, the guard who I was playing with is a very downhill guard. And so he plays all like Ian yeah. or like Tay. At this point, did you have an idea of how you wanted to play? I wanted to do whatever I could to get the most minutes possible and be the best possible. So you I didn't were really like, have, no. We're not resistant at all. Like, whatever this guy tells me, I'm going to fucking do. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. And then, so you went there grade 11, grade 12? Yeah. Well, yeah. I did five years of high school, so, like, I finished. I reclassified, did grade 11 again, technically. Mm -hmm. But, like, it's not, it's not like I was doing the same stuff. Like, it's a completely different academic system, completely yeah. different courses. So I needed the, the, five, the fifth year yeah. to help get my credits aligned and stuff like that. Grade 11, grade 12, you go there, and then college recruitment. I know we've talked about this already a bit, but I do want to go through the full story. So out of there, Coach Kerbis knew Coach Hack, question mark, or no? So I was, my junior year, my coach thought I could be a potential scholarship. I had a really, 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 really good junior year. I was also an honorable mention for Allstate in Ohio, which is a very good basketball state with a lot of like high-level programs, high school basketball and colleges. I was all-district first team. I was... Max Preps Ohio Athlete of the Week. I shot like I was top five in makes and percentages and, and three points made. For the record, I've heard that twelve times in the last two weeks. That's not true. <laughs> but so I had a really good junior season, and at one point, uh, my coach was like talking to me. We had a conversation. He's like, "I think like after next year, like you could be a scholarship type player." And so I was like, "Awesome, that's cool." And he's like, "But I think he's like I think it would be better for you to go to a high academic Division three school, such as in the UAA or the NESCAC or something like that." As opposed to that, because the D2 schools, the academics can be varying. 
And so I was originally looking at UA schools and I talked to a bunch of UA schools. Um, I talked to Carnegie Mellon. I talked to, I went to a bunch of different camps, Brandeis. I talked to a bunch of different, a bunch of different really high level programs. And, but obviously like all those schools talk to a lot of kids, a ton of, they talk to a ton of kids and it doesn't really mean shit getting, like I thought it was all, like the coolest thing in the entire world getting email back from Williams College, which is like top 10 in the country right now. And they have one national, Duncan Robinson went there. That was D3 Duncan Robinson went to. <laughs> okay. I thought that was fucking sick. I'm like, yo, I'm going to the league. I'm the next d <laughs> Yeah, nah, we both white, we both can shoot. He may be 6'9", but like <laughs> I'm going to the league. And I thought that was cool, but that doesn't, I quickly learned that that doesn't mean shit. And I went that summer. I went to um, the summer after grade 11. I went to the Yale camp, which is a camp with a bunch of high academic division three, like a ton of high academic division three schools. And I realized, yo, like every single, there's 300 kids here and every single one of these kids has also heard from every single one of these schools and fuck, and these kids are really good. And so the first day I kind of was really not prepared and I shit the bed, played like shit and probably lost all the interest from all those schools that I had. And the second day I came with a different mindset and I played really, really well. And that's when I really got my first real, real interest. I'm, I'm like interest before I mean like responses from the coaches, but then this is the first time Oberlin College Shout out Coach Kaveco. He's a great coach, great guy. He came up to me and he knew Coach Kerbis because Coach Kerbis had a ton of connections. And he talked to me, said he really likes my game. He uh, thinks I could be good for the team and wants to bring me on a visit. And so I went on my first college visit before, like with my family the same weekend they moved me into school my senior year. And that was awesome. And then I had a bunch, I had a, I had a, I had a lot of recruitment. I was very, very fortunate enough to be able to choose where I went to school as opposed to only having one opportunity and kind of being forced in that direction. And I mean, at one point it was, I started off my senior year not well. The first for first five games, I had like 18, six, 18, six, 18, six, pretty much. <laughs> and then, and then I had a really bad stretch of five games after Christmas break. And I, at that point was, I was one of probably my lowest points where I'm like, I might not reach this goal. I might not play college basketball. And then I picked it up, played well and got a, bunch, a ton more interest and was in a fortunate position that I was in. Why did we choose Madai? So, coach, I I was this was I was home for something, and I was emailing a ton of schools because I spent so much time on my like I put in so much work emailing schools, researching schools. So this was really my goal, and I was willing to do anything it took. And I emailed coach. Sent me coach Kerbis would constantly send me lists of schools to email that he thinks I'd be a fit at or people that he was talked to. And I emailed Madai. I emailed Coach Hack, and Coach Hack emailed back right away. He's like, "Holy, like Rudy Kerbis haven't heard that name in so long." I love to get on a phone call. He called Kerbis, and then uh, he emailed me. We set up a call, and I just I fuck with Coach Hack. I fuck with his vibe. I fuck with everything. What's up, it sounded like a good. It sounded like a good fit. And so, while I was going back to school, I went on a visit there, and I loved it. And then I went on maybe two or another. I know I flew to Lake Forest College in Chicago for a visit, and that was a dope experience. But I just didn't feel like that school was right for me. And I maybe went on another visit too. But then I'm like, I don't want to drag on this college process anymore. I want to kind of just, I want to get this done with. And I committed to Madai University on senior night. And my whole family was there. And that was an awesome experience. When did you meet Coach Long? I didn't. Day one. Day one. Actually? I didn't know Coach Long. Because I met, because I got recruited by Coach Long. And that's the same thing. I didn't meet Coach Hack until. Like, no, I met Coach. I didn't. He wasn't even there on my visit. It was just Coach Hack. So throughout this whole process, the ups and downs. I know we talked about this. I've fucked a ton of times in the room. But we never. This really episode could be like two hours. It could, but we're going to try and not. No, let's it. try and do two hours and. Cut it up into two. Holy fuck, buddy. You said you want Chris's content, job, Chris's job just gets so much harder by the week. Let's um, get some content. So we've talked about this in the room, but at these lowest moments, what... There are a lot of them in this sport. 
For me, at least, his, I don't know. This is fucking daily. But what what keeps you going? Especially specifically, uh, like I, like I want you to fucking dig in. I want you to think about that moment when you're playing like shit. Actually, no, what I really want to think about, what I really want to ask is that was fucking gibberish. What I really want to ask is when you broke your shin because we didn't really go over that. We well, bro- so that's what I said we we're gonna get into later. So this is a funny side step, funny story. This is why it's gonna be fucking two hours because I have a lot of fucking stories. Two hours because he never the tr- was fucking talking. The tryouts for Vaughn Panthers, which is the high-level AU team I played on after I quit, the first possession of the live scrimmage, I fracture my shin, stepping on, like, just sliding on defense, I open my hips up, and I step funny, and I like hyperextended my right knee. Just drop to the ground? And just no. I heard a crack, and I said, yo, I have this, this is my only, op- like, fuck am I going to do? If I don't do this shit, I'm done. Played the rest of the eight minutes, got fucking buckets, and then told them, like, yo, some shit's wrong. And I sat out the rest of the thing. My dad came, whatever, and then went to the hospital and said I had a fractured shin. So I probably probably wasn't fractured, and then I... And continued to play defense. Yeah, and then got and then it got worse, but... But I'm really talking about, like, the... Do. But the you, second... When you broke your thing In half, Israel. In Israel. Yeah. So first of all, you went up for a layup or a dunk or something? I went up for a layup on the left side mm-hmm. with, um, off my left foot. Like, one of those ones. You know what I mean? You know, classic on a fast break layup down 35 to Israel's Backwards. national team. Yeah. And I got hit in the right hip and I landed on my right leg again. And I just like, like, was, it, like, was the bone like out of the. Like, no, 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 no. But like, I, I can't really explain it. It was just like, I stepped so awkwardly and shit feel? like fucking terrible, dude. I was bawling my eyes out. Like, bawling my eyes out. Like, I didn't really cry. I didn't cry at all the first like one. Just fucking. But I was I was bawling my eyes like I was in hysterical pain. And then pain you were in your life probably. And then I put like the trainers because we had like a whole athletic training staff in Israel. It was an unreal experience. And they put like ice on my knee, and I had a, a reaction to the ice, and I started burning. And I'm it was like it was, I was sitting behind the bench. I was like I was insane. What's going through your head in these moments? Because I know one of the things that I like one of the most vivid things I remember when I was younger was hearing Kobe's speech after he tore his minute um, or whatever, like that game where he went for the pull-up and he tore his Achilles and still shot the free throws. Yeah. And he has like a really fucking great lesson during all of that. And so I want to really like dig deep and figure out what was going through your head when you broke your shin and like now all of a sudden I was like, oh fuck, I might not play college basketball. And all of these things hitting you at once, like what's going on in your head? Um, well, that's probably why I was also crying. It's like, yo, I realized like, fuck, like this could fuck me. But... I really believe that I am the most delusionally optimistic person in the entire world. And so I, I just believe, I believe in God like heavily, but I also just believe like that good things happen to good people and shit's going to work out how it's supposed to. And I just, I just believed that shit was going to, it was going to figure itself out. I thought it was over. No, I didn't think it was over. I never think it's over. (laughs) I'm a psycho. I never think it's over. I believe that it was going to work out somehow. I don't know. So even in the rehab process, you're like, I'm going to find a way. I'm going to figure it out. So this bro, I mean, I, I called Coach Hackett, so he knew. So it wasn't like, yo, you lost your spot. Like, we're giving someone else. So, like, I had a place, and I had... Uh, when I got there, Evan helped me a lot, and I did a lot of, like, rehab. So I, I knew in the sense of, like, it was going to be untraditional, and I was going to come back, and I was going to be at a disadvantage, but I didn't think, like, it was done because I had a I had a place still. I was lucky enough to have committed before then, and so and they still wanted this, me. You told me this a while ago. Is that before, like, pre-shin injury, you were, like, quite cocky? Yeah. Yeah. And you said it was, like, a necessary humbling? You still feel that? I don't know right? if I've ever said that, to be honest with you, but... I swear to God, you have. I look, Maybe. I've never been remember, like, you, were point, you told me, this is the first thing you ever told me that you broke your shin, and you were like, I'm not gonna lie, I low-key needed it, because I 
like I was really cocky beforehand and like all this stuff and like it happened now I just had a like a humbling moment. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Do you think it was a necessary hum- like, even to right now you think it was necessary? No. You might you would have much rather <laughs> much rather not had that happen. <laughs> but I mean everything happens for a reason. I think it um I learned a lot of lessons from it. Which elaborate. I learned um how to really like I'm a person's like fuck that shit, I'll do that shit on my own, like I don't need to listen to, I don't need to listen to, I don't really need to hear your shit. Like, I don't need to listen to the doctor. I'll figure the show myself. And like, really took, I really stressed like following all protocols and not doing, like listening to everything. And I'm a very like individual person. I don't like listening basically. Mm. And I like doing my own thing, but I really had to listen and do everything I possibly could. And it also just a lot of perseverance and optimism. And like those lessons. You had to, so you were still rehabbing as we came into the season of Madai. Was, so that yeah. must have been a completely new experience because you were like on, you said you were itching. You were fucking itching to get back on the court. I was itching. Court. But at the end of the day, I didn't have an experience to compare it to because I was never a college basketball player before. So I was just like going about everything for the first time. So I don't think I really compared it to. And then yeah. you said that first game, that first practice. I know we've also told this story before, but like that first practice on, everything was just going a million miles a minute. You I felt like my feet were in molasses and <laughs> I was, fell on your face. and I fell on my face like twice. I had it. Uh, the most ridiculous bruise on my hip and on my knee. It was crazy. And like, it's what happens. Like it takes getting used to us, as we know now, like it just takes it in every, yeah. every step. There's like what takes getting used to practicing at that speed. And then once you get that, it takes you another step of getting used to the gate, the speed of the game and just always, always adjusting. So now after this whole, like you came back into practice and everything, I want to know, like, so I didn't really like we we started the podcast late or whatever, but and you were still training. But how what was I was out when we started the podcast. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. So it's like when you were coming back into basketball mm-hmm. and trying to find a way to like redo your training. What is that like after coming off of a broken shin and after training super fucking hard? Putting nothing, everything? same thing, exact same thing. Exactly. Just free throws. I, remember, I actually do remember the free throws. You free, were obsessive about. Well, because free throws is the only thing I could do, so I would just shoot free throws all day, every day. I would just go to. The, I would shoot a hundred free throws and see how much I could make on the gun every day, basically. And but like once I could start doing shit, I started doing. I just started doing shit. It's always. It's always like that. It's always. It's always been the same shit. <laughs> Something we don't think we've talked about in the podcast before is maybe we have is your your goals after basketball. Because I know you probably don't like talking about that because you're scared for that day. Um, I'm honestly not scared for that day. I was uh, for a lot, good portion of my life, but I'm really not anymore. I think I realized that I don't want to play professional basketball. I think I want to experience playing professional basketball in Israel for a year or two, especially after I had that experience in Maccabi, which is awesome, which I played for the Canadian national team in the Maccabi games in Israel, which is, if I don't play professional, the closest thing I'll ever do to play professional is like a ne- t- tournament on the national scale, and it was awesome. And I really enjoyed that environment, and I think I would enjoy playing a year or two there, but then after that, I really have no interest in playing professional elsewhere, even even continuing there. That I think kind of new. I won't lie. I've been thinking about this for a while. I don't know if I've ever said that out loud, I but I think it, I, haven't heard I think that there will be a point where I'm okay with putting it down, and I don't think that point's it, the point was not after high school. That point was not after Madai shut down. And that point is won't be until I graduate. But I think there will be a point where I'll be content, and I will n- not. Need, feel the need to go to the gym every day and work out and be on this insane training regimen and so stuff. What's the plan? I want to go into business. My dad's in business. So I have a lot of um, family members in business. My dad's an entrepreneur and works at a large uh, business. And I just want to 
go into business, maybe start my own something. I'm studying marketing and accounting right now, which I've started off starting marketing and I have an in increasing interest in accounting. I think it's interesting and I think it comes to me naturally. And so that could be a cool type of thing to explore. And I just want to make money and work and live life and experience and travel and do a lot of different different life want things that I have not. Would you ever want to coach at one point? Because I know you said this to me, but like, do you ever want no, to coach? I, no. I would want to coach my kid. Like, I think that would be a cool experience. But like at the end of the day, I don't have the patience to deal with. You stupid fuck. Yeah, I don't, ha I don't have that type of patience to deal with people who like aren't. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a I'm not a trainer. I could be a trainer. I could be a trainer, but I'm just, I'm not good at, I'm not great at teaching people things, especially things that I'm good at. Cause I don't have a lot of patience. I have very little patience, especially for things that I pick up easily. <laughs> so it's like, him. and I'm also not, Wait, like, I don't pick up things easily. I've actively seen him almost like very close destroy his fucking MacBook because something very minute isn't working the way that he needs it to work. Not a lot of things come to me naturally at all. At all. I have to work. I've had to work so hard for everything that I'm even remotely competent at. And so if something does come to me naturally and you don't understand, that frustrates me. Because like, dude, if I can't fucking turn on my own TV at home, I'm being 20 year old. I'm 20 year old. I can't struggle to turn on the, the television. And you don't understand how to fucking do a periodic inventory. Like you're an idiot. Because <laughs> I understand that shit. I have very, very low patience when it comes to shit that I get naturally. Okay. I'm gonna go way back to we're just gonna bounce all over the place. It's hot as fuck in here now. It's so fucking hot. What separated you? Because you said some of these guys. We're gonna go. We're gonna go levels here. So, what separated you? Because you once said only two kids out of your Andrew Osborne, like with you, went off to play college basketball. My junior year, two people, and my senior year, including me, three or four. So, what separated? What separated you from the people who didn't get to go to play college basketball? I'm in the gym. That's the only thing that separated you. That's the single most, that's the only fact. I love the game more. I'm in the gym. I take shit seriously. Mm -hmm. I, I take shit seriously. Like, I would be on guys for like joking around. And like, I take shit seriously. I would be on coach for giving us an off day if we just lost on whatever. Like, I take shit very, very seriously. And I really give a fuck. Mm -hmm. Like, that's one thing about me is I, the things that I give a fuck about, I give a fuck about. Mm -hmm. And I, I was in the gym every day. I would practice and then I'd go do my homework and I'd come back to the gym and get shots up at night after all the other teams were done practicing. I often go at my lunchtime as well or at a break in the day to get some form shots up or do some ball handling or work on some specific skill. Like I just, I give, I love the game and I just, I give a fuck. Mm -hmm. That's a, really it. A quote that I heard not that long ago that really ties into this is from Warren Buffett. And he was like talking about, he said it's easier to find negatives than it is to find positives in terms of like, if you want a goal. So it's like, if you want to be successful, it's easier to make a list in your head of ways to be unsuccessful oh, for sure. and avoid those. And he, he had this long paragraph about like, if you don't want to be, if you want to avoid success, you have to um, go do drugs and get involved with girls and do all of this stuff. Right. And like one of the things he said is, and you have to absolutely avoid consistency because even if you do everything else in this list, if you're consistent, there's still a chance you'll be successful. Cause sometimes that's all that fucking matters. That's the most important thing. And anything is consistency. Mm -hmm. And I'm just, I'm, just the, I'm just consistent. What do you think was the separating factor? And I think I know what this is, but the separating factor from the fact that you went Division three to the guys that went D2 to the guys that went D1 from your perspective. Because you went D3, so what do you think separated them? Um, I think just natural ability and natural athleticism, which is height, athleticism, strength. That's one thing. Two, I feel like I suffer from performance anxiety, mm. which honestly is probably one of the reasons why I've struggled 
at, at moments in my life, at moments I've been really, really confident and a really, really good game time player. And at moments I've had a little bit of performance anxiety and not really shined in the moment well. And I think that there are a lot of type, a lot of people who, as soon as the lights gets on, like they're really ready. I didn't think that because I give so much of a fuck and I care so much at some points in my career, that's been a detriment to me in the sense of like, sometimes I won't be do everything that I'm capable of and I'll kind of be a little bit more reserved and I'll overthink a little bit or I'll act or like I'll play a little more nervously than I would like to, or that I'm cap or not play as I'm capable of doing. And I feel like a lot of the guys who go D one or all this type of stuff just have that natural dog in them. They love the bright lights. They love, and they have that natural dog in them. And I've had a lot of moments and I do like to believe that I am a game time player, but I just feel like there have been points in my career and maybe that has to do with outside stuff infiltrating basketball, but that I've had performance anxiety and I haven't been able to really do all the things that I know I'm capable of and I, that I work on on the court. Yeah, I will say I'm definitely someone who suffers from performance anxiety and that's like the one hurdle, maybe not the one hurdle, but one of the hurdles that I never like actually. I, I just think it's, I just think it's because I give so much of a fuck. Like, I really care. Like, I really pride myself, and my self-worth is based on basketball. And so I know going to the game, if I have a bad game, I'm going to feel like I'm going to feel depressed. I'm going to feel like shit about myself. And so that puts a lot more outside pressure than necessary. So Yeah, see, I don't think – that's definitely not what I – when I'm in the game, I'm not thinking, like, I don't want to get embarrassed, all this stuff. Or maybe I am, but, like, that's not the thing that I think holds me back from the performance aspect. I think it's literally just reps. I never got that – giant stack of evidence that I can perform in these games. I have like one of the things that like we were talking before this about how we, and we brought it up a little bit is how skills are a continuum, not a binary. Lots of big words there. Um, basically meaning that like having confidence and not having confidence isn't a black or white situation. It's a line. It's how confident are you? And every action you take in a moment of adversity that proves to yourself that you have confidence is a step in the direction to you eventually saying to yourself, I have the skill of confidence. And I had, like, if it's a big-ass line, I had, like, 20 dots over here that said I'm not capable of having confidence in games, and then, like, five over here. Because it's, like, you literally just need to throw enough shit at the wall to the point where, like, I almost want to say it's lucky because it's, like, if shots aren't falling, you can still play your ass off, but it doesn't necessarily translate to confidence. I just feel like I have a massive pile of stuff that... I can look back on it and be like, I can do it at this level and I can do it and I have done it and I will continue to do it. And it's A, put in work in the unseen hours and gyms where the lights aren't even on yet because it's before school or the lights have been turned off by the janitor and I'm still shooting. Um, or it's even games where I've played really well and I've hit big shots in big games. I just think that I had, bro, I had something that I was going to say. I fucking blanked. But it's just <laughs> like, I give so much of a fuck. It's that, oh, it's like you. Ch it's like you chase a cat, or you chase your dog escapes from your house. Your dog goes out of your front door, and the more you run after it, the more it's gonna run away from you. Yeah. And you. So I feel like I just I chase after that because I want it so badly, and I care so much, and I chase after it, and it run. It, like sometimes it runs away you from me. Almost chase it too hard. Yeah. I, so I feel like I almost chase it too hard. I feel like everything I do in life, I either go hundred percent, or I don't do do it at all. My parents will tell you that hundred percent. Like Max, you're so. They always say like Max, you're so lazy. Whatever, you don't do anything. I'm like, well, how can you say that when I'm got up at six a.m. this morning to work out? Like, how can you say that? It's like you pick and choose where you put your effort. And I really pick and choose where I put my effort, but in the things that I put a lot of effort into, I put a lot of effort into. And I feel like sometimes I chase those things too much and they run away from me. That's something that I'm working on to this day. You were, I'm assuming this is a complete fucking law, this could completely mess, but like you were the only athlete in your family growing up. 
like in terms of your household specifically? Yeah. I mean, my brother played. My brother was really, really good at hockey, really young, but he decided. He's also golf, right? Yeah, he's fucking really good at golf, but he is studying engineering, and so he that takes up a fucking lot of time. So what is it? I want to know what it's like being like the only athlete and like. Did your parents treat you differently than they treated the other two kids? Or both my siblings and my siblings will tell you this too. Both my siblings' life revolved revolved around my life and my schedule, and especially my sister. My sister, it, we have a relatively big age gap. It's like six or seven years, and so when I was going through all this stuff, and I'm like 16, she's like nine. Yeah. So you're not really old enough to really develop hobbies like that. She's hooping now. She started playing rap two or three years ago, and she's hooping now. She's holding down the Rolnick, <laughs> the Rolnick name on the court right now, and I'm really proud of her. And she's making a lot of progress. But the beginning part of her portion of life was. She got an iPad at four because my parent, my mom, just gave it to her. Well, see, she would be at my games or at my practice and stuff like that. So a lot of the, my brother kind of did his own thing. But also then again, like a lot of their schedule revolved around mine. And as bad as I feel, like, I mean, I, there's nothing really as out of my control. And I'm very grateful for them for being so, um, so positive and so having such a good attitude about it. And, but yeah, my sister even like, even still now, like my sister, not that she didn't want to visit me, but was dragged along on an eight-hour ride and missed like a two days of school to come and watch the games when they came with my family. When she came, my family with Alex, um, what was it, like a month ago, probably? But, um, so, what I was getting at there is like, your dad played basketball, yes? My dad, my dad played basketball in high school, but nothing serious. Mm -hmm. So, during this process where you're going through all this shit, he kind of has to like, when he sees you struggling and stuff and he's trying to teach you things, is he trying to translate like, business into like basketball and trying to tell you like well this is how this is and this is life he's stuff. very knowledgeable about the game yeah my mom on the other hand my <laughs> and chris will always hear my mom like say that you know you ever see you know you guys watching this the have ant, seen the, the um the crowd who's just yelling no 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 you guys have seen drake's son his music video <laughs> saying like the dogs are barking and whatever that's what my mom sounds like to me when she tries to give me feedback about yeah. basketball but I know it's out of love, and so I used to flip shit on her. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about, whatever, and we used to get in a lot of arguments. And now, as I've matured and realized I also pretty much don't know shit, otherwise I wouldn't be in the positions that I'm in, I try and give her a little bit more uh, leeway and just be a little bit more patient. Mm -hmm. so but my dad does a very, very – my dad knows a lot. Yeah. My dad is very knowledgeable. My dad picks up on stuff quickly, and so something that would take me three or four times of fucking over to do it properly – Red card slab. He'll probably be able to pick that up after the first time. And so he knows, and he's very knowledgeable. And he watches all the games, um, whether I get it or not. And he's watched all of my games since I was a kid. And whether I was at AOA and they were streamed or whatever, he even watch, he'll, watch, he'll pay for the Wi-Fi on a plane from a business trip to watch my games. And so he knows a lot. And so he, like, he gives me real advice because he, although he hasn't played, he knows a lot. Is he, can you recall a moment where you were, it was a shitty game and you were mad or a situation like that where he like, gave you some advice and you're like, shit, he's right. Um, nothing's coming to my head right now. Let me give me a second to think because there's been a ton of times. There's been a ton of times. Um, let me come back to that because there's there's been there's just nothing coming to my head right now. Okay. Two lessons, if you can, from this 10, 20, 15, whatever. I don't know how long. Long as shit. Two lessons, just two very strong, very solid takeaways that you could tell somebody that you've learned on this process. Um, be persistent and be like persistence and perseverance is like eventually you're gonna win something's gotta give something's gotta give and whether that's you run the race so long that everybody else just drops off and you win by default 
or you those get my, those are my favorite races, bro. <laughs> or you get so good at doing the thing over and over and over again that no, that no one can fuck with you. But either way, something's got. If you just keep doing it over and over and over again, it's a mix of a lot of things. So I'll, I'll give you a answer that those two things with a bunch of things, but in one answer. If you are consistent with what you're doing, you persevere no matter what, and you do it even on the days you don't want to. And then you're positive and you're optimistic and you believe that's going to work. And on top of that, you're a good person and you take care of the shit you need. Like, for example, you get good grades in school and you treat people with respect and you aren't ineligible because you do some dumb shit. You fight somebody and runs or whatever it is or anything. Then things are going to happen for you at some point. If you keep all of those things but wait, consistent. Those things might not be basketball related. but Something's going to happen for you in general. Yeah. 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 Though that's the biggest thing I've learned is like something's going to, you just have to keep being, just doing those or five things I said. It's like persevering, no matter, like being consistent, persevering, even the days you don't want to, working hard, and then just being optimistic and being a good person. And just all those things, it's going to lead to success at some point in some area. Do you have your favorite crazy basketball story, possibly college basketball story, which would be funny because I know Coach Hack's going to watch this and I feel like it's a his, him story. Dude, I don't even know. It could even be from Elms, which makes me laugh because there is some stories some, here. Like basketball related? Most of the crazy shit is not basketball related. <laughs> it's it's so like gun, women, and drunk related. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to believe both some of that. <laughs> like when Roden came, shout out Jacob Roden. He'll be on the up podcast at some point. At some point. Um, when he came to the dorm, because he plays for Yeshiva University, and they were playing against Amherst, and so he was staying like twenty minutes away, and so he he Ubered to the Ubered to the crib, and we just caught up, me, him, and uh, Chris, and we just were just laughing. We were just like we had that moment of like, yo, we have so many stories. So, I, I, I'm trying to think of one. Like you could talk, you could say the one where Coach Hack like fucking just ring me out like in front of everybody for the. This the jersey thing where like I was I thought I was wearing white and I was wearing blue. It's been beating to death. But that yeah, that one's like beating a dead horse. Um, I, mean, I have I have one from like the very beginning of the season. I don't think anyone's ever told. About the demo one? No, no, no. With the. Just, this is I don't even want to talk about that on the podcast. <laughs> Rest in peace. No, mine yeah. is like so. I this is like fresh off. This is August or September. So I've been at school for two weeks. The whole recruiting process of like I was at my basketball court that I started. Oh, I know what you're gonna say. I I wasn't even there for that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I, so I was like, I was at the basketball court that I grew up playing on with Sam for like eight hours a day when I got the call from Coach Long saying like, we'd love to have you, all this yeah. stuff. We use, we'll, we'll, we'll say it's, that's where you, where you made that decision on the podcast, the family-friendly version of that story. Why? What else? What else? Never mind. Yeah. No, <laughs> fuck. Okay. That, I got the text. I got the text, but I did actually get the phone call at that Family-friendly version at of the that story. Court. It was like, there was multiple acceptances things, but like, yeah, basically... So that court, I got the call, and then like two weeks later, I'm in Buffalo, living in America for the first time. All this crazy shit, and we have a team. Has it been 50 minutes? Huh? Has yeah. it been? Wow, yeah, it's gonna be an hour. And, a half. and we have uh, we have a team meeting in this little classroom. I know not a single person other than James in the room, which is my roommate at the time. It's just a bunch of basketball players. They're all laughing and talking about random shit. I'm head down at the front of the room. The only person I've met on the team is Coach Long and my roommate. And in walks Coach Hack. Both very um. Not aggressive. Long, super chill people, yeah. like whatever. In walks Coach Hack. Everyone's like, hey, what's up? They're all just like, everyone knows him. It's a weird situation. And he's this imposing big dude, six foot two, missing a couple of teeth. You know, it is what it is. Has a, li- has a, has a dip, dip in, in his, his mouth. mouth. <laughs> and he's just like, and we had to get this money 
for this um, Thanksgiving drive. So we were supposed to sell. He gave us all like 10 tickets. It's 20 bucks a ticket. And we were supposed to go door to door, do whatever. He said, I don't care. Just come in with Yeah, basically you owe him $220 or you can give some, you can sell these tickets, tickets. and you give other people give him 220 bucks. Yeah. And people start coming to the front of the classroom, putting down like 60 bucks, 20. He's like, I'll get you later. All these super, this joke stuff. And like, he's just, it's just the anger is just building. I put my 200 bucks. I'm scared shitless. I don't sure. want, it's my first thing ever. Right. And the day before I had missed lift by like 15, 30 minutes because my alarm didn't go off and James didn't wake me up. Fuck you, James. Fuck you, James. And yeah, but you got him back because he's in the shower. But <laughs> Paul, anyway. wow, 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 wow. Yeah. No. Mid-story, put my money down because I'm scared shitless, right? And everyone starts laughing and all these jokes are going, you can just see the anger building in Coach Hack. And then out of nowhere, he grabs a whiteboard marker and it just explodes it on the thing and goes this is why we fucking suck. And I, like, this is the first time I've ever met the guy and he's just exploding. He's point, he turns, points right at me and he goes, you, you were late to lift by 30 minutes. Turns to Joe, he goes, you have a fucking Samsung. And everyone's just like, yo, like it was crazy. I wasn't there for that. Was that was my point. welcome yeah. to college one, bro. I was like, this shit is not a fucking game. In that moment, I'm thinking to myself immediately, I'm like, yo, there's a chance I don't want to do this. This is the first meeting. Yeah. I have a story. I don't know how this didn't, wasn't the first thing that came to my head. This is the scariest thing I've ever experienced in basketball from like, like, what, like a yelling type of standpoint. So on this team, before I quit, we had this practice. And our coach would sometimes bring in like his friends, like people in the basketball world to like. You told me this story. Train with us, like train. Well, you experienced something similar mm-hmm. to like train with us and or like tr- put us through workouts. And this fucking psycho, <laughs> fucking insane dude. Like you could tell he was insane by the when he stepped into the gym. He has doing some. He, I've never heard of this guy, but allegedly he sent like 40, 60 girls basketball players division one. So he's specializing in girls basketball. And he, we spent like an hour just taking charges, like just taking charges. It was like, bro, what the hell is going on? Like we. Taking charges, is doing push-ups. He's the one that's like going through you. No, 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 no. But, he, no. but he's telling you you're fucking worthless and you're a bitch on this, like from from the sidelines. And then eventually, I don't know what we did, but we did something to piss him off. He's like everyone on the baseline, and we did 17, and we kept back doing this charge thing. Did something to piss him off again. 34. Oh. Did something to piss, and then whatever. Back to the charge thing. Did something again. 68. Mm-hmm. And while he's like, wasn't even to me. It was to, like, the best player on the team at the time. He was like, you're fucking worthless. You're never going to be anything in life. Why the fuck are you even here? Whatever. Like, you're fucking... flashbacks. But, like, running with him up and down. And I'm like, yo, what the f... I don't even want to be here anymore. I really contemplate walking out. How old are you at this time? 14. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also, like, we're not, like, a college basketball team. We're, like, a club basketball team. And also, another one that I have. Quick other story. So, this same team... We scrimmaged against Grassroots Elite, who at that time had Elijah Fisher, had DJ Jackson, who's also playing Division One. I. I don't remember, but there was a chance that Shaden Sharp was in that game too, who he's in the league now, and he like is averaging 20 a game. Fucking Shaden Sharp is. He's having 20 a game, and I think he was on that team too, and they had like probably seven dudes go D1 and one potentially two go to the league, and we lost by like 70. Yeah. And that was just like a holy fuck moment. I was like, this is what really good basketball looks like. I would say I had a holy fuck moment in, ironically, a grassroots scenario when like, because you had that like, 
the you're worthless type shit at a much younger age than I did. But like, it wasn't even a you're worthless thing. It was just, I didn't know what a college basketball player looked like other than the one kid in my other, in my area, shout out Ethan Cudney, um, who went to, uh, la, 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 why am I spacing on his school? Fanshawe? No, that's Laurentian. Laurentian, thank you. He went to Laurentian, but um, there was 20 of these dudes in, at grassroots trying out to, for the AAU team, and that's when I snapped their starting point guard's ankles, and that was a crazy Good. fucking story. You got my get back. <laughs> and then Elijah Fisher was going crazy on the sidelines. I got ripped by Elijah Fisher in game. And you dunked that shit? Oh, yeah, fuck. Oh, he was 16 at the time. I'm like, oh, shit, this is, this is real. But um, other than that, I don't think I have. I mean, yeah, but it was just like the intensity, like going from a – my coach in high school played on a CFL team, yeah. and he like we would like our press break was a wide receiving route where it was football. Would, he would just go long, and like, you guys had that same thing yesterday. Yeah, yeah, but like that's what we would do, and he would he didn't really care about basketball. And then you have uh, Ro Russell, who is now maybe in jail. I don't really know, <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> but yeah, he, him just talking. We would mess up like a tween on the dribble, and he's baseline. Do you guys understand who the fuck I am? I make a call. I make a call to any any college in the country, and you'll be on that fucking team. It's just like this crazy fucking mentality type bullshit. But, um, I want to go back to like a, a childhood thing where like, because you were playing against all these crazy basketball players, and did did being in the gym with guys like that make you better or worse as a basketball player? Like, did it make you think I can't do this, or like I'm going to start t- taking pieces of their game? Because one of the things that no, I, did, I think as a kid, I was very like. It started off being like, yeah, this is awesome, whatever. I felt like I was getting better, and then I got to the point where like everyone was so ahead of me that like last year, and I really felt like I was like, like that, like probably where the performance anxiety thing kind of like started, and I feel like I really like I, I realized like, I really don't belong like does it belong yeah. on this court and I'm like just kind of felt nervous and like obviously these guys are all like these guys are talking about like junior academy and like how they're this, which is the first step of like the youngest possible like team Canada you can play for and like they're talking about how they got invited to that or whatever and like college reach maybe I don't I think college is reaching out to them at like fucking 14 years heavy old heavy imposter syndrome yeah and it's like I just felt so I had so much anxiety and I felt so like nervous I just felt like I didn't belong there and I feel like that probably made me worse I think mm-hmm. but it also gave me a goal to try and get to that level. So, and eventually I ended up getting back to that level and competing with those same guys and being in a lot better of a position a few years later after thousands of hours in the gym and shot up. So you're a sophomore now, and about, we've asked damn near everyone on the podcast the same question, but what are some things that you didn't know coming into college basketball that you've now learned over the last two years about American college basketball? Um... It's fucking hard, man. <laughs> fucking hard. And like, I feel like everyone like, if you tell yo, I play college basketball. Oh, that must be hard. But like, you don't really know no, right. how hard it is. You don't really know the it's daily like grind. And this is not like a comparison, but like, it's kind of like saying you're a Navy SEAL, where it's like they don't, they can't comprehend the shit you've been through to get yeah, to where you I'm are. Yeah, fuck, we don't do anything close to being no, Navy but SEAL. But it's like the only but, thing I can think of in my head. Yeah, but like, you can't, you don't really understand like the a the physical grind of like, especially when you're not playing, because like last year didn't even touch the court at all. This year been fortunate enough to have taken a step in the right direction and be in that like kind of garbage line up rotation and I've touched the, I've played in three of our however many games it's probably like one of every three or four games I've played in which is yeah. a step definitely a step in the right direction but it's just the physical grind of putting in extra work because I need I'm not playing right now. I'm not in the rotation right now and I wasn't even in the garbage time rotation last year so I've clearly 
lacking in some areas. So I need to be put in extra work. So the defense, defense, weight room, maybe my shots not falling, maybe all this, whatever, this and that, that's holding me back. And so just the physical grind of going an hour before practice, then watching film for an hour or half an hour, then having a two hour practice and then staying after you get a shots up on top of maybe lifting earlier in that day or whatever, like the physical grind, but also just like the mental battle of the ups and downs. And I'm a college basketball player. If you're watching this, I'd probably give you an ungodly amount of buckets. <laughs> and I still, even though I'm at this level and I've played in games at this level and scored buckets on people who are very good, I still have bad days where I feel like I'm ass and I feel like, like just because I'm at a really high level doesn't mean I have days where I aren't like don't have all good days like and you think like the guys in the league who are all unbelievable they're the best players ever they're the best players in the world and some of them playing now are some of the best players ever and even them even Curry like they have bad days where like they're not good that day Mm -hmm. and it's just like I thought like oh you play college basketball you're unreal I'm like yeah like I'm really good compared to you but like (laughs) in general like I still have days where I'm not good and I'm not at where I want to be there's this huge delineation that I've noticed between people who think that Dude, I heard this from. I'm gonna use Schmelvin on in this scenario because we were watching the game yesterday, right? Oh, yeah. And um, he asked me to rate him on a basketball scale, like one to ten, because I saw him shooting around, and I said, "I'll give you like." A Did five. it look decent? No, I, I, like, not at all. Like I can tell he, he didn't look like a common basketball player. I can tell he's played basketball before, but that's it. Like you know the other baseball guys who shoot around with two hands and shit. Him or Dante G. Dante G by a fucking shut up fucking Dante G by a fucking okay like, okay but like okay. yeah so Dante G is like a seven one maybe a seven five what am I then what are you then anyone who plays college basketball is eight plus a, a plus okay so like yeah but basically he was talking well all this I said you're a five point eight he's like get the fuck I was like he looks at Clement who's on the sideline whatever and he's like I barely watch Clement play and he says how much do you think if me and Clement do you think I could beat Clement one on one and I said fuck no and I said I would bet my fucking house that you don't score more than five points and he looks at me and he was like you're crazy as fuck and I said dude the, people do not understand the level it takes to even make the goddamn team if you even made a college basketball player. even if you're a practice player you are better than I'm gonna go 97% of all basketball players everywhere yeah and people just for some reason when they see you on the bench like I could probably fry that Dude, I promise you, you can't. Look, I'm retired. I will give every single one of you watching this, Richie, Miles, Braden, <laughs> I will fry every single one of you, and it's the truth. And you At guys, the same time. It doesn't matter, bro. Like, you just, you don't get it. And that is hilarious to me. That's that going on the thing you said. It's like, people from the outside looking in do not understand if you've even played a year of college basketball as a practice player, you are levels ahead of every but other basketball player it, on the It planet. goes both ways, though. The, like, yeah, I'm way better than you, but... I'm all like you looking at me. That that sounded mad egotistical. I'm gonna take that back. I'm gonna take that back. You looking at me, yo. He plays college basketball. He must be really good. Yeah, I am really good. But also, there's a sense of he should be really good. But I also have these bad days. You know what I mean? Um, two more things I want to go here is I want to step on this now because yeah, the question that what's his face left, Keyshawn. I'm spacing a lot of shit right now. Was what would you do? To make Elms men's basketball better. Um, so in the position that I'm in right now, obviously I'm playing in games where either we blow a team out or we get blown out. Yes. So I'm not in the rotation. So that's it's hard for me to make an impact on the court immediately. Let's just say. But I feel like so one of the things which I actually was talking to the guys who I was running with in practice on our team before. So we were doing we played Western Connecticut yesterday, 
and they handed it to us pretty good, and they were very, very <laughs> pretty good's an understatement. They're they're a very, very, very good team, and they're going to do. They're going to have. They're on pay. They're having a very good season. They're going to do one. They're going to continue to have a very good season. They could make some noise in March, and but they have a suffocating press of six five lanky athletic guys pressing ninety four feet for forty minutes. I had an out of body body experience watching them, and I realized if I ever coach a basketball team, that's what I want it to look like. Like, it looked like a. It was like a AAU. It was they. If you were dribbling the ball, you had two people guarding you. Couldn't get the ball over half. Actually, no. let me see this because I actually think, dude, this is a moment that I realized that I want to be a basketball coach, and this is the moment that's going to like exemplify the intensity that comes with. We got to talk about the Trinity, not the Trinity game, but the uh, Holy Cross game. Okay. Yeah. like the guys practicing before or whatever. But like, um, oh, Trinity, Trinity. Yeah. yeah, I keep fucking those two schools up. But basically, they were trying to run their sets right, and they have like five sets. We have fucking a lot of sets, but we ran like. Five main five, sets, yeah. Five main sets. And as they called out their sets, like one of them's called Fist, they were calling out their sets, and their players were echoing to the coach the actions that were about to happen. Like, he's going to cut middle. He's about to do this. They're running Fist. They knew the plays that they were about to run so incredibly well that the coach didn't even have to say anything to them. They were LeBroning them mid-game. Yeah. They knew what was about to happen before anyone else did. That's the level of intensity and fucking focus that happens in college basketball. But back to the actual question. So in practice, so we knew they're very, very known for having a press. And I'm sure the fucking refs knew that they were a pressing team too. That's why they didn't give us any fucking calls. But um, we in practice were working on a press break. But shout out coach, this is a very good idea. We were doing eight on five. So there's eight defense and five offense. And the five offense was the five starters. And the eight defense was eight like players. Not pre- It was like... The rest of the guys, you know what I mean? Like that are not started high up in the rotation. And before that, we had a huddle. And I'm like, yo, I, after Coach P, who was like leading our group, was talking. I'm like, yo, guys, like, let's fucking be intense because they're going to fucking face a ridiculous press tomorrow. So let's try and prepare them as best as we can. As our role right now is to try and simulate what's going to happen tomorrow. So if they can, if we can push them to be better in practice now against eight of us, theoretically, versus five should be better. And so... To go on that, like what I could do is just keep getting better, not only for myself, so that I can be on the court and I can shoot the ball and I can contribute to get that three-point percentage up and I can add spacing for guys like TC, guys like Key, guys like Aaron, guys like RJ who go downhill. But also just in practice, I can push guys to get better and I can ideally become a better defender so I can guard who I'm guarding better and push them to be better. And then also just being intense and help simulating what other teams are going to run in order to help prepare the guys who are in the positions to play right now in order to prepare them for the games. And then also, actually, I've had a few, I've, I've had a lot of sit-down conversations with Coach, and like I've added a few things to the program, which I'm proud of, of those contributions to the greater whole. Because at the end of the day, everyone has a role, and there was multiple ways to contribute to that whole other than just playing. And so, like for example, the gold mine thing was an idea that I had of just kind of like an activity to just get guys to connect and get guys to buy in and... um invest in areas that they have similar interest in. Basically, let's just simplify it as that. So I had an idea of a team bonding exercise and just like other ways that aren't necessarily on the court that can help the team grow as a whole. Add some fucking value. Exactly, add some value. What You've been on some good teams. You've been on some bad teams. Mm-hmm. What do you think separates the good teams from the bad teams? Buy-in and, um, buy-in and distrust. What does that mean? Like buy-in is like, just the give a fuck. Like everybody gives a fuck and everybody bought is buys into their role. So the, the team that I've been on that was the best playing 
team together was one of the least talented teams I've been on. My first year at AOA, it was a three-headed snake, and everybody else was not extremely talented, but bought into their role. We started a all-state 5'10 baseball player who shot like Chris Boucher <laughs> over his head at the three. But he was dumb, dumb fast, yeah. and bought, he would go play 40 minutes and not shoot a single shot and be- PJ Tucker. And be, and host a team party after the game after he won. Like he was so bought into his role, he knew every play and just gave a fuck about the team and just being a part of the team and doing whatever it took for the team to win. And we had guys off the bench who were the same way and just everybody was so bought in, everyone was so on the same page. Yeah. And we were less talented than we were the next year when Alex came and Elijah came and Jeremy Rudnick came and we had a lot of guys who, we had five guys who go play college basketball, one's playing professional. But we did worse and we were worse and we had a worse um, record because we weren't all on the same page the same way. So it's that along with, what was the other thing I said before? Just trusting each other. So me and Chris, if me and Chris are playing twos, for example, versus two people in Burks. Ben and uh, Wes. I want to win because I want you to win as well. And I'm like, if I trust, if I fuck with you as a person and I trust you, I'm going to go harder. Mm-hmm. And I'm also not going to get down on you if you fuck up because I, like, I want you to be better, if that makes sense. So if five guys on the court at the same time all trust each other and are all playing for the next person, it's a hard team to beat when you have a bond like that. You know what I mean? When everyone's linking arms, it's hard to run through that as opposed to when everyone's standing side by side individually. How do you create that? If you were a coach, how do you... How, you know you know you need trust and you know you need people to buy in. How do you do that? I think the best programs are the programs where you bring guys up. So it's like it's very hard to make build that with a program where people co- uh, come in and out. So a JUCO. A JUCO or just other schools where guys come in, come out or like one year rentals. Okay. Like for example like the the Riviera team, like they're going to do very good, but we played them. We played them a very 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 good game and they're 8 and 2 and we we were 2 and 8. I think that and they're going to lose all those guys next year. And I feel like it's hard. And there are moments where they were like arguing with each other. You were watching yeah. the game. And I think that it's hard to build that. But I think that if you give that team and those guys three years together to grow, it's, they create that bond. I think it's just a little bit of time. I think you need to like graduate guys into a position where they've been together for three years. They are all, that's how you get on that same page. I think it's hard to do when you are all meeting for, and like for our Elm scene right now, a lot of t- ton of new players, yeah. and so we're all meshing together for the first time. We're all figuring out the quirks and what, how I can speak to how I can speak to Mike, for example, without with him being receptive to my feedback, or how I can treat TC or all these like what, just learning how to communicate with people based on how they like to be communicated with, and it's hard to figure all that out and build that type of team chemistry and that bond in one season. It is odd that like the things, the few things that I've noticed from the really really successful basketball teams is that we've talked about this too, is how damn near every single one of them has pretty much entirely seniors and fifth years. Yeah. If you look at the Madai team, the year before that we won, Kendall and Rodney were both there basically since freshman year. They were, and they, they won in their senior year. And then you had Rari as a junior. You had all these guys who came in as freshmen and came all the way up the continuum and went from freshman struggles, sophomore, junior, senior, and a senior, and then they worked together as a whole and they won a championship. And then you had a few new pieces that were like- The next year- Which was like, you have Dante Wilcott coming in, you have Demo coming in. Yeah, you, you have, have some Juan, good pieces as well. You have these guys who are coming in, and because they're all freshmen, which is the most important part, I think, is like, it's really easy to, I want to say, brand a freshman with a type of basketball and mm-hmm. a mentality, because 
what else are they going to do? Like, if you tell, uh, if you, let's say you were, you were a really dickhead of a coach and like someone fucked up and you yelled at them, if it's a freshman, they're not going to talk back because they have no idea. This, they don't even know what's going on at this point. They also don't have that stack of evidence like, that you had, we were talking about before. They have, it's, yeah. like, it's like parenting a child. Like, if a yeah. child talks back, it's like, no, it's not going to happen because you're the parent. But it's like when you start to get second and third year transfers, they know what other college basketball programs look like and they know that they recruited, that you got recruited for a specific purpose and that if I, talk back to them, odds are he's probably not going to send me packing. But yeah. freshman doesn't have that conception. But it's like the time thing, I will agree with you on that. But I think it comes from the coach mostly. If I think if you look at – but if you look at our – what I was saying before is you look at our Medai team, the next year after those guys graduated yeah. and the new pieces – we had a lot of new pieces in the rotation that were new, mm-hmm. such as Colby. You had uh, Day. You had a bunch of guys. You had Mac. You had a bunch of guys who were in there. Um, is there anyone else who I'm forgetting who was new that year that was – I mean, at Warren at the beginning of the year, you have like, and we didn't do nearly as well because we had a rotation of a lot of guys who were older, who transferred in and didn't have that necessarily bond that they were brought up with all under the same. It's kind of like a family. If you're brought up with these values and then now you're a second year and then someone else comes up with these values and now you have four years of guys who are all brought up with the same values, the same principles, both basketball and not basketball, that creates a very strong bond, I feel like. It's like... It take, I think it takes a coach also buying in, which is a weird thing to say. Well, the coach has to stand on his system. And I feel like it's the, there's a adaptability that's necessary. Like, if we do something, I feel like if something's not working, obviously you have to adapt. You can't just say, this is my system, and I'm going to fucking ride or die with it. But there has to be a standing on the system and a standard. Like, Coach Hack was very, very adamant on the standard. This is what I was going to get into is, like, I don't even think because I think it's much easier by definition to teach principles, which is what Coach Hack did. Because I don't know, I don't even know if he like comprehended that he was doing this, but it's like if I teach you principles, defensive principles, or let's say okay, I'm gonna scratch that, I'm gonna go back to that. If I teach you a specific defensive scheme for a very specific team, I have to reteach you that same thing every single game for every single new team. If I teach you principles with some very small, minute tweaks, that can be effective against every single team in the league. So if I instill these principles in you from a very like from the beginning of your college basketball career, and then you have these new guys coming in getting still with the same principles, you don't have to make that many tweaks. And the ideal scenario for a leader is when I can step back and let the work that I've done lead throughout the rest of the team. So it's like if you instill these, if you get a four-year guard and he comes in and you teach him all these defensive principles, when someone comes down and doesn't help in defense, whatever. I don't even have to yell at that player because everyone else on the court is immediately going to jump on him. It's the five monkeys thing where they get sprayed with water. It's like, I don't have to do anything anymore. And it's like, if you do enough work, if the coach is bought in enough to the point where he can teach them principles and values and ever, and, and instill them in the right way, he doesn't even have to really do that at some point. You can just step back like passive income. You yeah. can just let it ride. I think the coach also has to create that relationship with their players where they can instill values. Like I'm not going to listen to you. If you, I'm not going to listen or a player is not going to listen to a coach if they don't have that type of relationship where he feels like, you know what I mean? I can't really explain it. Like a player is more going to listen to a coach if they like the coach, not necessarily like the coach, but they res- they like the coach. They respect the coach. They have respect a respect matters more than like, it's, it's a bit of, it's, you just have a, you have to have a positive relationship. If I don't like you as a coach, as a person, then I'm going to be more resentful to your philosophies and your ideas and your principles. But if I respect you and I like you, and off the court, I feel like you're there for me. I'm going to be a lot more inclined to listen to what you have to say and adopt that. I've always thought that to some degree you should hate your coach. And I don't think you can get around that as a coach. Because if you try to 
one thing I've noticed is if you try to maintain a player's feelings over winning or getting the point across, they're going to hate you anyway. So instead of pussyfooting around, you'd be better off just pause drilling into the kid and like forcing him to see it your way to the point where he's like, man, fuck that guy because, but he's going to respect you from coming at it like a man avoid instead of like trying to dance around the subject of like, yeah, I can't really get into this without saying names, but like, yeah, that's what I mean. We're at an hour 15 and I think I've squeezed my brain for pretty much everything I could possibly get out of it today. So I think what we're going to do here is we're going to give Max Rolnick the last question that we've given 50 other people which is, what's one piece of advice you would give your younger self? Just keep going. No matter what, just keep going. If you don't feel like it, keep going. If you woke up and you're hurting, keep going. If something's affecting you off the court, keep going. If something's affecting you on the court, keep going. No matter what, you just have to keep going. Slow motion's better than no motion. You keep getting better every single day. But also, be able to enjoy like the little things and be able to enjoy, enjoy the, the journey and the, like the ups, the ups and downs don't get too caught up in that. And yeah, just be able to enjoy the little milestones. Like for example, this past, the first Trinity, which we talked about, or we didn't actually talk, get into that, but we oh, mentioned shit. that. We mentioned that. We can talk about that after. Like I got in for the first time. And although I went over two and I shot two good shots and I felt good and they just didn't go in. And I could be frustrated about that. And I was at the time. I tried my best to be in the perspective of, I just got in on a college basketball court for the first time ever. And so just enjoy those moments. And as opposed to being too critical and anal and anal about shit, like just enjoy the moments and just recognize your progress. And just because I'm not where I'm at now doesn't mean I won't be there in the future and just be, be grateful and be, yeah, just recognize your progress and don't like sell yourself short. That's it. Wraps. Awesome. See you on the next one. Thank you all for listening.